Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Frank Pizor. So without further ado, here he is. Alright, if you want, you can open your Bibles to James chapter 1. And we're going to look at two different passages, James chapter 1 and then also into James chapter 2. And we're going to try to get a grasp on what it means or how faith and works or faith and deeds actually work together. Because when you read James and you read Paul, you kind of think, are these guys on the same page? They don't seem to be on the same page, but they actually are saying the same thing, but just in different ways. Now, you can find out what you really believe when you're under pressure, right? I mean, when the pressure's on... You know what you really believe. Uh, I've been reading a book entitled Calico Joe. It's uh, by John Grisham. Uh, It's a story about a fictional Mets pitcher and a Chicago Cubs player. And uh, it's a really good book. I listened to it on tape and, well, not tape. That's back in the old days. On CD, sorry. And it's a really good book. And, And part of the book, it deals with a whole bunch of issues. Now, if you're not a baseball fan, it might be a little bit boring, but... If you're into family struggles and uh, fatherhood and redemption and forgiveness and not necessarily a happy ending, this is a good book. It's a short book, and I think you will enjoy reading it in the end. And I have to admit, as I get older, I cry a lot. There were certain points where I did cry in this. But one of the things that in dealing with the father uh, in the story is that the father has pancreatic cancer and... uh, as we all know how that ends up, it's kind of a sad ending in some ways. But the realization that as he struggled with the pancreatic cancer made me wonder, how would I handle that? How would I, under pressure, handle that? Would I be the type of person that you could look at, and like Pastor Dave talked about a few weeks ago, uh, just dying with grace, uh, dying in a good way, although death is not a good thing, it's a tragedy in and of itself, But would I be able to reflect Christ even in the midst of my pain? Because when the pressure is on, then you really know what you believe. And as I'm listening to this story, I'm kind of questioning myself and wondering, would I really do that? Because I'm not good with pain. Uh, My wife says I'm a baby when I get sick. Uh, I don't believe that. I'm really sick. I should be taken care of. (laughs) But I wonder... And the book of James is, I think, in some ways dealing with tests that Christians face and what James is trying to get the people that he's writing to to see is quite clearly that how do you really know you believe? So in chapter one, in the first part, he says, you know, you really believe in the way you respond to trials. You know, if you have a trial and uh, you are an overcomer and you respond with joy, even though you're in the midst of persecution, then I'm pretty, pretty sure that you're a follower of Christ because that's how a follower of Christ responds. And then he goes on and he says, well, temptation comes as well. So how do you respond to temptation? Well, if you respond to temptation when you see it and you go, well, that's temptation, it's tempting me, but I don't want it because my preference is my relationship with God over the short-term pleasure of that sin, then you've got a pretty good idea that you're a good follower of Christ. And the thing that we're going to talk about today is how you respond to truth. How do you respond to truth? Because the way you respond to truth is another one of those tests which makes you look at yourself and go, do I really follow Jesus? 
Is my faith real? Or is it something that I talk about but really doesn't mean much in the actual world? Well, let's read these verses. James chapter 1. We're going to start with verse 22, and we're going to go to the end of the chapter, and then we're going to look at it. James starts out like this in this verse. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and, after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Well, here's my first point today. If you really believe, if you really follow Christ, this is black and white, you will obey. Let's go back to verse 22. It says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. So here's the thing that I want us to see. Ultimately, what James is trying to get across is that being here today really is not good enough to say that you follow Christ. Even if you came here week in and week out, even if you went to a small group and attended all the events that everybody else attends to, that's not necessarily enough. Listening is a good thing, but if the only thing that you do is listen, then you're actually deceiving yourself. Because a true follower to pass this test is someone who will actually do what they hear. In other words, James is saying when you hear God's word or when you read God's word or when you're reading a book that is explaining God's word, you're not just reading it or hearing it or looking at it, but you want to be changed by it. And if you can leave a Sunday service or leave your quiet time or leave that book that you're reading and walk away continually without it changing you and you not being different, James would say you have deceived yourself. No gray, but quite simply, if you can walk away from the word of God and nothing change, don't be so confident in your beliefs. Because if you really believe, you will obey. Now, the idea here also that James is trying to get across is that ultimately you become a doer of the word. Let's go on. Anyone who listens to the word but does not look at what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and... After looking, at, after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. So he creates this contrast. He says this doer of the word is someone who listens, who hears the word, and then continually keeps on doing the word. Because he believes that God is God and what God says he needs to respond to. He's not like the listener of the word who simply audits the word. Has anyone here ever audited a class before? Okay, auditing classes are kind of fun, right? Because what happens when you audit a class? You get to go to a class, you get to listen, you get to learn, and you have to do none of the work because you don't get a grade. 
So if you don't take the test, whoop-de-doo, no big deal. If you don't hand in that midterm paper, so what? You're not flunking. And what James is saying here is when you go to church and you audit church hearing God's word, then you've deceived yourself. You're like the person who goes into the bathroom, looks at the mirror and goes, oh, that's not right. Then walks out and does absolutely nothing about it. How many of you woke up this morning and did that? You went to the mirror, you looked at the mirror and you saw some bats in the cave, some corn in the field and a few things in your teeth. And a little pimple, and you said, no big deal, I'm out of here. Anybody do that today? Nobody? Why not? Okay, there's usually like a little kid that will say, oh, I never look in the mirror. But there's no little kids here. But none of us really do that. We're always, in fact, sometimes I feel like I'm constantly looking to see if something's out of place. Because you know and I know that when you're talking to someone and you can see those things, it's a little awkward, Right? And so we spend a lot of time making sure that we look good because we don't want to be embarrassed. And what James is saying, can you show up that old time mirror for me really quick? What James is saying, when you look into a mirror, now you're looking at that mirror and you're going, how can you see anything? And I have no idea how they saw anything, but they must have seen something because they used them anyway. They'd get this bronze and they'd mold it and make it and shape it. And you'd be able to see a little bit. What what James is basically saying is people who look at this mirror, see how they look. Don't just walk away. They fix something. And his, his, his point is that when you see the word of God, when you read it, when you listen to it, when you interact with it, you don't just look at it and go, man, that was good. That was really interesting. I got that. That makes sense. That's really super. I really think my husband can work on that area. No, that's not what you say. You don't go, oh, my wife really needs to do that. No, when you look at the word, you're looking at yourself. God is revealing himself. He's revealing who you are, and he wants you to look at it, and he wants you to do something, not just hearing something. If you really believe, you will actually obey. Why? Because he goes on here and he says, because you deceive yourselves. And the idea of the deception is a miscalculation. You have miscalculated your faith. Now, can you imagine if NASA is getting ready to send somebody off into space and they mess up the calculations? What's going to happen? Anyone want to just, I know you all know, but somebody want to just throw out there because I just want to know that somebody's alive out there. What happens if you mess up the calculations with a rocket? Amanda, you're doing this like, yeah, yeah, they're off course. Or you're aiming, you're aiming for the moon and you end up into an asteroid belt. That's not really very good thing to do, right? That miscalculation can actually cost lives. And so what James is saying, when you have miscalculated, there's a cost. You're walking around thinking that I am a follower of Christ, but you never do what he says. There's a problem, a math problem. You have miscalculated. You think that you believe, but you truly don't. You've deceived yourself. Your faith, ultimately, we'll see is dead, but it is useless. But he goes on, he says here, (coughs) verse 25, but the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. He creates a contrast. He says, sometimes people come to the bathroom, they look in the mirror and they go, oh yeah, whatever, and they walk out. 
They've deceived themselves thinking that everything is okay. But on the flip side, the person who really believes in Jesus is the person who looks in the mirror. And they look intently. They look closely because they're looking for those flaws that they want to get rid of. Now, I know this is hard to believe, but I'm going to be 48 in September, and I still have acne problems. It's frustrating. And it's scary when you're 48, and I have a large enough nose already, but then you get those big red ones on the tip so that you look like the Wicked Witch of the East, right? I'm always looking intently, waiting for that zit to come up because I'm afraid of how it will look. And the idea that James is trying to ultimately get across is when we are like that in the physical realm, we need to be like that in the spiritual realm. We need to be intently looking into the word of God and seeing what is it, God, that you are speaking to me. It may be something to believe. It may be something to do. But whatever it is, I'm going to look intently at that and respond to be a doer of the word because I really believe that when you, God, ask me to do something, you want me to do something. I know sometimes as parents, when you tell your kids to do something, they take it as a suggestion, right? Clean your room. Thanks for the suggestion. Come down here and eat with us. <coughs> when I'm ready, it's not a restaurant. It's a home. Get down here. Let's eat. You know, it doesn't happen at our house. That's what I've heard from you guys, right? God does not make suggestions. When God speaks, God is commanding. And a true follower, the person who really believes that God is God and what God says comes from God is the person who actually does what they say. Thanks, Steve. I should have listened to you earlier and I didn't, see? So, This person ultimately then is blessed, not deceived, but blessed. They actually are right on target. Now, what does all of this mean? Well, James goes on and he says, listen, we have a contrast. The listener, which is not good, who's deceived and the doer who's actually blessed in the midst of this. Well, how do you know someone actually does something? (coughs) Excuse me. Verse 26. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. One way you want to know that you really obey God is the way you handle your tongue. Now, the Holy Spirit's in my family. My wife and my son, Tim, this week said, I'm a bad person in this area. How many of you have ever seen me watch sports? I know that we've talked about this before and I know what I've said And uh, for some odd reason, the the more the Bulls get closer to the playoffs, the worse it gets. I have been horrible. And uh, they said this week, it's bad. How can you preach this sermon on your tongue when your tongue is vile to the vilest? Now, mind you, I'm not swearing and dropping F-bombs and all that stuff. So don't be sitting there thinking, oh, what does he say? But I just am mean to people. I'm a mean person when it comes to sports, which is why I'm not playing with the softball team again this year. Because as Captain Kim has mentioned... If he didn't know I was a Christian, he'd swear that I was a jerk. So when I read this verse, I think to myself, okay, we got a problem here, Houston, because my tongue reveals what I really believe. I get more upset sometimes at the Bulls losing. When they lost the other night to the Washington Wizards, it took me like about 48 hours to recover. 
Really? Think about that. I'm upset about a stupid game that means absolutely nothing in all of eternity, but I can't get over it. There are bigger things. And I think what God would say is a test. You have failed in this test because you speak words that are not words that come from God. It's black and white. It's not one of those things where we say, oh, I got a hang up. I got an issue with that. I got a problem. That is excuses and rationalization. But there's a second way, he says, in which your, your religion is good. Your religion is good that, that the God accepts in verse 27, that is pure and faultless, is to look after orphans and widows in their distress. I think Heath's picture is a good picture this week. We've seen it a couple times. It's a really, really good picture because really what it's talking about here is that ultimately deep concern that we have for people who are helpless. Because in the days of James, a widow... And an orphan were absolutely helpless, uneducated, not able to be easily employed. They would basically live on hand, handouts. They are helpless. And James says, do you really believe God? God has a heart for the poor. Now, of course, the sarcastic person, and perhaps rightly so, says, if God cares so much about the poor, then why doesn't he take care of them? It's because he's placed his people on the planet to take care of the poor, to reveal the father heart of God. So James is saying, do you really, really honestly believe in Jesus? Do you really believe that God's word is God's word? Then how do you treat the helpless? Look around you. There's a lot of helpless people. They may not necessarily be here, but in your world, there are a lot of helpless people. How do you help them? You say your religion is true. You say your religion is real. You're a person who goes to church regularly. You give regularly. You do things at church. But where is your heart? What is your tongue like? Because your tongue reveals your heart. Where is your heart for people who are around you who are helpless? And finally, how pure are you? See, what James here is trying to say is, listen, <clears throat> there is a test there is the test of how you respond to tribulation. There is a test in how you respond to temptation. There is a test in how you respond to truth, the truth of God's word. Do you just listen and go, yeah, that's a pretty good insight. I like that. Or do you listen and go, wow, that's a tough insight. That's hard, God. But you know what? If you say that's what I'm supposed to do, that is what I will do. But there's a second thing that James says. <coughs> Flip to James chapter 2. Slip down to verse 14. Second point I want to make today is this. If you really believe, you do something. So the first point is, if you really believe, you will obey. And now here, if you really believe, you do something. Verse 14. What good is it, my brothers... If a man claims to have faith, but has no deeds, can such a faith save him? It's a question. So James is saying, okay, guys, in the first chapter, we've talked about if you really believe you're going to obey God. But now let's go a step further, get a little bit more closer to this. And here's a question. Examine, look at yourself. What good is it <coughs> if you claim to have faith, but you don't do anything? Can that faith save you? Can that faith save you? He's saying, 
like a product. If you get a product, if you buy something, you look at it. If you're going to go buy a car, you just don't go into the used parking lot, used car parking lot and go, hey, you know what? I'm looking for a 2,400 car Accord. You got one? The guy goes, yeah, I got one over there. Okay, I'll buy it. Uh, sir, you didn't look at it. Doesn't matter. It's a 2004 Accord. I'll buy it. Well, sir, it's got no wheels. Doesn't matter. It's an Accord. I want it. It's got value. No, no one does that. We examine it. You know, the old going around and kicking the tires to see if everything's going to work and all you get is a sore foot. But the idea is we're examining something. So James is saying, listen, after all of these tests, and there was a test of impartiality just before this in chapter 2, in all of these tests, let's really look at ourselves. Let's examine. Let's stare at it intently into that mirror or looking at that product and ask this, is my faith for real? (coughs) (coughs) Does what I believe really mean something in the eyes of God? So that's the question. So then he illustrates. Verse 15, he says, suppose a brother or a sister was out clothes and daily food. One of you says to him, go, I wish you well. Keep warm and be well fed but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? It's a simple illustration. It would almost be like if we're looking at here at Hans, and uh, Hans dressed well today. You look nice. And uh, I'd have to say you look a little well-fed, right? But a few years from now, (laughs) how do you say that? I don't know. (laughs) But at least you're awake. But he comes next Sunday and he's in rags and he looks horrible and, and he looks gaunt. And then I go up to him and I say, you know, Hans, what happened? And he goes, oh, it's been a horrible week. I lost. I lost my job. We lost our car. I was in an accident. All these bad things happened to me. Uh, the condo burned down. We lost all of our stuff. And I say, Hans, let me pray for you, brother. What's I going to do? It does nothing. He is in need. He might need a place to stay. He might need a car. He might need food and he might need clothes. And if I go, brother, I am going to pray with intensity. Oh, Lord God, give Hans what he needs. Give him those clothes. Give him that house. Give him whatever he needs, God, because we know that you are a provider and you will provide. Amen. Hans, I will see you next week. What James is trying to say is that is nothing. If you really believe, you will do something. Verse 17, in the same way, faith by itself, it is, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. It's useless. But someone will say, well, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. I have a picture of an illustration of a tree. This is an avocado tree. Now, how many of you just love avocados, right? Mm, good stuff, right? This tree is useless. According to the Google picture, and I hope that it's the truth. So if you go on Google and you look this up and you see something else and the tree's got fruit later on it. But according to Google, this is a five-year-old avocado tree that has never borne fruit. What is the value of that tree? None. It is useless. It is planting something. It is using resources. Of course, you may get shade. I don't know. But it's using resources, but it's not doing what it is intended to do by God. And thus, it is useless. There's no value in having this tree in the backyard because it is not producing fruit in any way, shape, or form. 
And the idea here, what James is trying to say is, listen to this. If you say you have faith and the only thing you can say is go and be blessed, brother, in the midst of your destitute situation, then you have missed the point of what it really means to believe. Because if you really believe, you will do something. You will alleviate the difficulty or the struggle or the trial that the person is in to the best of your ability. You will not let them suffer if there is something that you can actually do. So wait a minute, but I believe. Verse 19, James writes, he says, you believe that there is one God. Good. Thank you. You're orthodox. I like the fact that you have good theology. But I want to tell you something. Even the demons believe and they shudder. Here, here the idea <coughs> is that they tremble. There's a high degree of terror. If we could have an interview with a demon, which I don't think I would encourage on a Sunday service, but if we could say, hey, Beelzebub, come here. Tell us theology about Jesus. Who is Jesus? And under oath, because God told him to speak the truth, he would say, Jesus is the son of God. He died for your sins. He was buried. He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He seats at the right hand of God the Father. Right now, he has all authority in heaven and on earth. That is Jesus. He'd be right on and orthodox. But is he going to heaven? No. And so what James is trying to say here is, listen, guys, just because you believe the right things, you know, in the first chapter, just because you do the right things, and now just because you believe the right things, this does not mean that you truly believe. Because something must happen after you believe. You don't just believe and go, wow, that's great. Now, that's part of the confusion, isn't it? Because the confusion here, as we see in verse 20, and then slip down to verse 24, is this. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Verse 24, you see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. James is creating confusion because we've grown up all our lives believing that by grace, through faith, not of yourselves, not of works, you are saved. That's what Paul says. And now James is turning around and saying, listen, if you really want to know that you follow Jesus, you've got to do works. And when you read that, you get confused because you're saying these two guys have me all messed up. But James is not saying that. Look at the whole context. Verse 21, he says this. Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? That's the doing thing. But here it goes. You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that it says, Abraham believed God and it was credit to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see, verse 23 says, Abraham did the only thing to get justified before God that he could do. And it was he believed. That's it. He believed. That's all you really need to do. But how do we know that Abraham believed? We know that Abraham believed because he did something afterwards. There's no confusion. There's no contradiction. The gospel teaches each and every one of us that in order to know God, the holy God, (coughs) creator of heaven and earth, we must simply believe and do nothing else because there's nothing in us that we can actually do to perform or whatever in order to get on God's good side. 
It's just God's work. He has initiated that work. But you know that you really believe this when you respond. I can't imagine the couple that gets married and says, hey, I love you deeply on the wedding day. And then for the remaining 50 years, do absolutely nothing for each other. And to turn at each other at the end of 50 years and say, we've made it 50 years, honey. I have no idea who you are. I have no idea what you like. But I just want to tell you, I love you. Huh? That doesn't make sense. Love is expressed. It is expressed. And so what James is saying, if you really believe in Jesus and you really follow Jesus and you really love Jesus, you will do something. Not because you have to, because you don't, but because you want to. Because there's a desire in your heart that says, I love you. I want to respond to the extravagant, unconditional love that you have expressed to me. And I want to give back to you whatever I can, even if it is a small offering in comparison to Calvary, like we just sang. But I want to respond. There are no auditors. There are no people sitting in the seats, spectators, watching a game of church life. God life, Christ life, and saying, wow, this is great. I'm in the stadium, and that's all that I have to do. Now, mind you, you can't have 60,000 people playing football on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon. I get that. But when we're talking about really believing, really saying, I believe, really saying, I will follow Jesus, Really saying, I love you, something happens after we believe. We respond because God has spoken something into our hearts and our love is poured forth. Like forgiveness. It's hard to forgive when people have hurt you. But do you really believe that Christ has died for you? Do you really believe that he was on the cross for you and suffered that much for you? Because if you really believe that, God's word says, if you've embraced that, then you in kindness will forgive others as Christ has forgiven you. But if you sit there and say, no, brother, you don't understand how much they've hurt me. And I probably don't. But God knows better. But if you really believe that that's what Christ has done for you, and God's word has said that there's no issue. I wish I could say it's simple. And it might be a process that happens over years. I understand that. I get that. But if the words come out of your mouth that say, I will never forgive that person, then you have to ask yourself, do you really believe in Jesus? There are a lot of things in Scripture that we are called to do. And they're difficult things that we are called to do. They're not the kind of things that we like to do sometimes. Sometimes, don't you feel as a follower of Christ, you would just like to let me relax for a little, God, just a little time to enjoy life instead of always thinking about the kingdom and, and how I must respond. See, because James isn't saying you have to be perfect, ultimately, but that you are continually focusing your life on doing what God has asked you to do. Because when you do that, then you truly believe. Now, here's the thing that scares me. 
is that people might leave here today again and think, wow, after all of that, what are the five things that I have to do in order to show that I really love God? If you leave again like that, you have missed the point completely. Because James is not saying, go home, write down a list on your mirror and do those five things just because you are supposed to do those five things. What he's saying is when you look at your life and you look at God and who he is and what he's done, the response should be, what can I do next? And when you make a mistake and when you feel it is not as though God comes upon you, slaps you upside the head and says, you really don't believe. Because we struggle, we make our mistakes, we sin, and we fail. But if you've been sitting in a church for a year, five years, ten years, fifteen years, and have done nothing, don't leave here with the confidence that you really believe. I don't want to be mean, because it's not for my place to be mean. But what I'm trying to say is we need to really look at our lives And stop listening to what God is asking us to do. And when he's asked us to do something, to respond. Faith is the only thing that God requires of us to enter into a relationship with him. The evidence of that faith being real is when you respond to his word. When you obey what he calls you to do. And that leads you to end up doing something in some way, shape, and form. Blessing other people. Encouraging other people. In the midst of your trials and your temptations and your weaknesses and your failures. Coming to God, receiving forgiveness, and then moving on to the next step. It's always moving forward because God is always drawing us to him. It does get confusing because we don't know where that line is, where I'm actually doing something because I have to, where God wants us to get to a place where we want to do it. How unromantic it is of a man to say, hey, I got you this stuff because you told me to. There's no romance in that. The romance is when you do something because it comes from your heart and is an absolute surprise, which I believe is one of the things that harvest women want harvest men to know. Yes, that was a shameless plug for our survey. Please fill that out. Does what James say make sense? James isn't a mean person. I believe James writes this because he loves these people deeply. And I think one of the reasons we picked this as the top 100 is because we love Harvest Church and its people deeply. And what we want to see is that people aren't going around doing things because they have to, but because they want to, but more importantly, because their faith is real. It's a message that really shouldn't even be shared, but needs to be shared because often, like the hearer of the word, because of the distractions of life, we hear all of these things, but we run on to the next thing instead of stopping and saying, God, what is next? How do you want me to respond? Let me finish with this. You really believe something when the pressure's on. How many of you like McDonald's nuggets? Come on, admit it. Don't be ashamed. I love. There's no chicken in there. There's probably no nutritional value in there. 
I can see that pink thing that whatever that they put on the internet that you look at and say it's gross. But I guarantee you, if you put six in front of me today at lunch, I will eat them. I believe they are bad for you. Do I really though? Because if I really did, I would say no thank you. I'm not putting that in. I'm going to ask you, do you really believe that God is God? And do you really believe that when God says something to you that he wants you to do, that it should be done? That it's a command and not a suggestion? Do you really believe that? Because if you'd really believe that and you respond to what God is saying, then you can have all the confidence that is possible in this lifetime knowing that you love and follow Jesus. But if you can sit here today and go, man, that was nice. And every once in a while we laughed and that was really cool. And I like being at this church because the speakers are a little interesting. And, uh, you know, that's really great. But I don't have to respond. Then you've missed what it means to hear God's word and do something. You're simply a listener who has made a mathematical miscalculation. You have deceived yourself. Your faith is in vain. James says, instead, do the word and be blessed. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, with so much that goes on in life, it is so easy to look into the mirror of your word, to be touched, and then to walk out of this place and forget it all think James would call that hearing, deception. Father, I know that you love us and you give us passages like this through James because you want us to constantly be looking at ourselves, examining ourselves, strengthening our faith, growing in our trust of who you are. Not because you are a God who watches over us to whip us back into shape when we cross a line. But because you are a God who wants his children to walk in confidence and to respond to the things that you bring into our lives. Mercy, grace, compassion, obedience, and love. My prayer, Father, is that we do not leave here today Strengthened, made firm in our workaholism to follow Jesus. Instead, Father, I ask that you show yourself to be who you are. Let our hearts and our minds see you fully. May we be overwhelmed by such a love that is so high and so wide and so deep and so long. And embrace that love. And in the midst of embracing that love, express back to you in gratefulness and thankfulness that you are a good God in the good times and the bad times, through the struggles, through the fights, through the worries, through the concerns. For your love for us is like no other love. Father, may we leave here from our hearts as doers and not simply hearers. We pray this in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. 
you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.